Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Welcome, everyone. Glad that you're here. Jeremy, nice to see you. Uh, Welcome to Awaken. My name is Micah. I am one of the pastors here uh, of our little church and super glad to be with you. Uh, If you didn't get a bulletin on your way in, today is Sacred Sunday, so we took the screen down. There are some up here. There's some in the back. Lots of information in there. Uh, And I want to start with a call to worship this morning, which will sort of usher us into our first song together, which is an oldie but a goodie, hopefully familiar to you. So, if you would, this is from a book called Odd to Heaven and Rooted in Earth by Walter Brueggemann, one of my favorites. And it's called You Give and We Receive. So maybe if you would, just a couple of deep breaths in. Receive this. We are your people. Nope, that's not the right... One page off, one page off. This is called Gratitude We Intend, which connects to Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Here we go, friends. (laughs) I'm out of practice, you know. I was walking across Spain for a while, and now I'm here. So here we go. The witnesses tell of your boundless generosity, and their telling is compelling to us. You give your word to call the worlds into being. You give your sovereign rule to emancipate the slaves and the oppressed. You give your commanding fidelity to form your own people. You give your life for the life of the world. Broken bread that feeds, poured out wine that binds and heals. You give, we receive, and are thankful. We begin this day in gratitude. Thanks that is a match for your self-giving. Gratitude and gifts offered. Gratitude in tales told. Gratitude in lives lived. Gratitude willed but not so readily lived, often held back by our wounds that turn to resentment, retarded by early fears become vague anxiety, restrained by self-sufficiency and can-do arrogance, blocked by amnesia, unable to recall gifts any longer. Do this yet. Create innocent space for us this day for the gratitude we intend. In thankfulness, we will give We will tell, we will live your gift through us to gift the world. Amen? Please stand. Let's join our voices together. All right, friends. Well, if you can uh, find your seats, that would be awesome. A couple of things before I introduce my good friend, Oshida. Uh, first and foremost, if you're new to Awaken, we're really glad you're here. Uh, if you would be so kind as to let us know that you were here, we would love to know that. Uh, take that as a real gift, um, an offering that we want to be responsible with. And so there are cards in the seat pockets in front of you or the pews. There's also a place you can do that online on our homepage. Click the I'm new button about halfway down. Let us know that you were here. Somebody from our team will reach out, invite you to a beverage of your choice. You can get to know us. We can get to know you. Um, and we'll see where see what happens from there. Um, the, also, if you have tithes and offerings this morning, those cards and tithes and offerings can go in the black boxes uh, on the exit, at the exits on your way out. Again, super grateful for both of those gifts. 
Uh, a couple of things we want to let you know about. Um, number one, today is our last vol volunteer fair, so uh, at the end of the gathering, we'll give you some instructions about what happens next. I'm, I've, I've been told that there are some donuts that will be available, um, and those are only available if you volunteer. So that's the way it works around here. It is tit for tat. Like, that's it. It's quid pro quo. That's how we work. Uh, just kidding, but seriously, we really do need your help. <laughs> So Jen, I'll share a little bit more about that later. But um, next Sunday is fall kickoff. We're back into the swing of things. So uh, we begin a new series next week. Uh, families uh, for kids community. We'll have kids community again for all the kiddos. So uh, you are welcome to come a little early at 9.30, see your classroom, uh, get to know Sarah, who we'll introduce uh, at the end of the gathering today. And then after the gathering, uh, if you'd like, uh, there's a little meetup at Palace Park a couple blocks away. So feel free to bring a lunch next week, weather permitting, and hang out after church. If you don't have kids, that's fine. You can, do, you can, you can meet over there as well. That's not just for, for folks, for kids, community folks. Uh, but that's happening next week, fall kickoff. Uh, youth uh, kickoff is happening next Sunday night. Trevor, I got you. Uh, that's also 6th to 12th graders, 5.30 p.m., so um, Trevor is rocking and rolling with his team, and that'll happen next Sunday night as well. Uh, Discover Awaken is something that we do for new folks, so uh, lots of new faces around here. If you're interested in getting to know a little bit more about Awaken and about kind of what we do and why we do it the way we do it, uh, the 25th of September, after the gathering, uh, I host that with Kathy uh, and some staff who are available um, pop in for that and introduce themselves um, and allow you to hear a little bit more about us and ask questions and all of that. So that's the 25th. You can sign up online, so that's helpful for us, so we know about lunch. And then last but not least, uh, the fall retreat, friends. I, as of this morning, I saw 121 people that have signed up for the fall retreat. It is going to be a hoot and a holler up there. It's going to be so fun. Uh, so that's at Covenant Pines. It's uh, the last weekend in September, the 30th, 31st, and October 1st, I think, or whatever that weekend is. Um, all the information is online, uh, and next week is the last day you can sign up for that. So um, please pay attention to that. If you uh, sign up to offer uh, help for kids care at the retreat, you get a $15 discount on your registration. So um, that's super helpful for uh, per hour. So, I mean, we're paying. It's just show me the money around here, you know. Uh, so that's helpful. Um, I think that's all I have for announcements. So all of this is in the Awaken Weekly, which goes out as an email. You can sign up for that online. Um, I would like to introduce a dear friend of mine, um, Oshida Moore. Uh, Oshida was one of the co-facilitators in the group that Laura and I were in uh, over the last six months or so, uh, the peacemaking cohort that took us to Ireland. And um, a few years ago, our church made a real conscious decision to lean into what does it mean to be uh, a church that's engaged in a conversation around justice and around race and what it means to be people of faith and a mostly white congregation. Um, that takes certain kinds of leaders and, um, and gifts, and Oshida has been a huge gift to me as a, as a white pastor um, who has felt a real calling to come alongside of and offer encouragement and, and leadership to churches like ours. Uh, she's written a book called Dear White Peacemakers to say, like, hey, if you're interested in this work of peacemaking, especially around these issues, um, here are some things that you should be thinking about and, and learning. Um, so she is a real gift, uh, has been a gift to Laura and I, and um, is a gift to the faith community in the Twin Cities. We are honored to have you here this morning. So would you please welcome my friend Oshida Moore.
Thank you, Micah. How are you doing? Sound good? Good. Well, good morning, everyone. We are going to be in Matthew 25, uh, beginning of verse 31 through 46, and I'm going to read it over us. Um, but before we read scripture, I like to take a deep breath and get settled in and just allow myself to be open-hearted and open-minded and open-eared to what the Spirit might be inviting us into. So if you will, will you do me the honor of taking a deep breath with me? And then I'll jump into our scripture. So breathe in with me and breathe out. So when he finally arrives, blazing in beauty and all his angels with him, the Son of Man will take his place on his glorious throne. Then all the nations will be arranged before him and he will sort the people out, much as a shepherd sorts out sheep and goats putting sheep to his right and goats to his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, enter your, you are blessed by the father. Take what's coming to you in this kingdom. It's been ready for you since the world's foundation and here's why. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was homeless and you gave me a room. I was shivering and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you stopped to visit me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then those sheep are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will say, I am telling the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked and ignored, that was me. You did it to me. Then he will turn to the goats, the ones on his left, and say, get out, worthless goats. You're good for nothing but the fires of hell. And why? Because I was hungry and you gave me no meal. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was homeless and you gave me no bed. I was shivering and you gave me no clothes. Sick and in prison and you never visited me. Then those goats are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or homeless or shivering or sick in prison and didn't help? He will answer them, I am telling the solemn truth. Whenever you fail to do one of these things to someone who was being overlooked, and ignored, that was me. You failed to do it to me. Then those goats will be herded to their eternal doom, but the sheep to their eternal reward. So this is a parable that Jesus was teaching his disciples. And when I first came across this scripture, it was very much a, a, a passage that was lost in translation for me. Meaning I'm looking at Jesus, who I love. Jesus, who has, by his very life and ministry, reflected this sacrificial and overwhelming and never-ending love. My Jesus, who flipped tables of oppression. And I'm sitting here listening to Jesus talk about rejecting others. This passage freaks me out. I mean, I have to confess to you, I don't, didn't know what to do with it. It's intense, but Jesus talking about the end of times and judgment, 
people full-on confused and perplexed. It feels apocryphal and steeped in rejection that doesn't seem to track with the picture of Jesus that I have. And so all of this makes me, a pastor who has been reading and studying and preaching the Bible for years, get really anxious. I used to have a friend who, who committed to studying the Bible for a whole year. She was really excited because the Bible was something that she really struggled with. Scripture was something that triggered her very often. And so she was really excited because she got an inclusive translation. And she said, I am going to commit the next year of my life being reintroduced to Scripture. I'm going to read the Bible every day, and I'm going to engage with it. And what I'm going to do is whenever I come across a passage that freaks me out, I'm just going to throw the Bible across the room and just sit for a minute. And she said, at the, year, at the end of the year, I'm, I'm going to come back and show you this Bible all highlighted and all dented. I'm, I'm hoping that I can stay the course. And we were like, okay, girl. <laughs> Some of us actually in that, in that group were like, we love Jesus, but we're struggling with scripture. So that is a really brave thing that you're doing. Go forth. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And so she would come back to group, and she would share, you know, things that were standing out to her, things that she was struggling with. And we'd joke with her, we're like, well, did you throw the Bible across the room? Yes, I did. I threw the Bible across the room. We're like, okay, you really are doing it. And at the end of the year, she did come back to us, and she showed us her Bible. And she said, see, see all of the dents and dings in this Bible. See all the highlights and the nope in the, in the margins. She was like, I just want to show this to you. And then she said something that I'll never forget. She said, this is evidence of my persevering. Like I stuck with it. God and I wrestled through it. And I don't know that I feel any more in love with scripture than I did at the beginning of it, but I feel more in love with God. So whenever I come across a scripture like this, I think of my friend. And I ask myself, is this something that I can persevere through? Can I push through this passage and maybe not super love every single thing that this passage is saying because it freaks me out, but how can I fall a little bit more in love with God in this passage? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to take this passage and figure out where is God in it and how can we fall a little bit more in love with God. So this passage, it's problematic for me for all the reasons, rejection, apocryphal, doom and gloom. In my deconstructing and reconstructing of my face, I've really wrestled with this idea of an eternal conscious torment, and I'm just like, is this what Jesus is talking about? Because it seems to me that that's what Jesus is talking about. But then there's also something that is just kind of much more visceral for me, something that is just like getting to the core of who I am that makes me feel like well, I guess this, this walking and following Jesus thing isn't fully for me, because it seems to me that Jesus has a straight-up bias against goats, <laughs> and he's not about that farm life. And if there is one thing that I know that's going to happen in my third act of my life, in my 60s and 70s and 80s, is I'm going to have a farm, and I'm going to have goats, and I'm going to have sheep, and I'm going to love those little cuties with all my whole heart equally and wholeheartedly. 
So now I'm sitting here looking at Jesus who does not like that farm life, who does not like goats, and yet I love, I love goats. So also I'm like, so eternal conscious torment, I can't deal with that. Hatred of beautiful farm animals, can't get down with that. What am I going to do with this passage? But see, here's what I've learned I've had to do whenever I come across a passage that makes me want to throw my Bible across the room that doesn't feel like it matches my picture or my understanding of Jesus, that maybe challenges me in some comfort that I have, is that I have to learn how to read Scripture in context. I ask myself several questions to kind of get my brain around what exactly am I interacting with to help me figure out how to translate it, help me to figure out how to read it and involve it in my life, integrate it into my life. So the first question I ask myself, and this is a question that I ask myself about this passage and about every passage that I struggle with, is first, what am I reading? What exactly am I reading? Is it a psalm? Is it a story? Is it a poem? Is it a genealogy? Is it a letter to the church? What exactly I'm reading and understanding that helps me because the Bible is a collection of many books telling one story, God's story of his desire, God's desire to have an authentic, loving relationship with us. It's from a variety of different writers with different styles and different perspectives. So I have to ask myself exactly what am I reading that's helpful for me when I come to a passage like today. So, because I would read a poem and interact with a poem completely different than how I would read a letter to the early church. So then I ask myself, okay, what what am I reading? Well, like I said at the beginning, this is a parable. A parable is another way of a word or, or, or an idea of something that comes alongside you. So it's a story that comes alongside you to help you understand a bigger idea. So think of Jesus talking about faith as a mustard seed. Faith, this really huge idea. I don't know how to get my brain around it, but a mustard seed, like I can get down with that. I kind of can picture what a mustard seed is. So if you're looking at this passage, oftentimes we, we come to this passage, especially with my evangelical upbringing, I'll come to a passage that talks about the end times or hell or destruction, and I automatically assume this is a passage about judgment. This is a passage where Jesus is casting judgment and wanting to evoke some sort of fear or shame. But this passage is not about judgment. This passage is about companionship. This is a parable that Jesus is offering to his disciples, his closest friends, to help them understand a big idea. So then that brings me to ask, what is the big idea? What is the thing that Jesus is trying to communicate Well, to understand that, we have to know who Jesus is. Jesus had, like, his favorite things he talked about all the time. Like, when you talk to me, I'm going to talk to you about my farm life because I'm very excited about that future. Or when you talk to me, I'm going to talk to you about peacemaking because that's something I've spent a lot of time studying and engaging with. Or if I'm in a predominantly white congregation and we're talking about how we engage in the world, I will share with you my experience as an African-American woman because that's my lived experience. That's what I like to talk about. That's what I'm good at talking about. So what is Jesus offering his disciples in this parable that's supposed to come alongside them to help them? What is, what is Jesus saying? Well, Jesus is speaking from 
his core identity in this passage. Jesus is God made flesh. His whole ministry consisted of him loving and teaching and protecting and fellowshipping and healing and, yes, even offering some judgment in the service of helping us who live in this world, who feel disconnected from God, understand the character and heart of the Father and invite us into a more beautiful way of being human. That was Jesus' whole jam. Jesus was the very embodiment of the love of God, even to death on a cross. But Jesus is also our king because in his resurrection, he pushed through the, the sin and death and loss. He overcame. His love overcame. So if I know that Jesus is teaching this story that's supposed to come alongside and help us, and I know that your message is about to the heart of the Father and helping us be fully human and becoming agents of love in the world. So then I have to ask myself, this passage just makes me terrified of Jesus. Something else must be going on with it. See, what I have learned is that when I come to a passage that makes me want to dehumanize others the way this passage does, that says there's one group that Jesus prefers and another group that Jesus doesn't, I have to remember that the whole of Jesus' ministry was to humanize those who had been dehumanized and to teach us to resist that urge to create us in them. So I'm coming to this passage now. I've asked myself what I've read. It's a parable. It's supposed to come alongside and help me. Who is teaching? Jesus, the embodiment of the love of God. And what was Jesus' life and ministry about? Humanizing those who have been dehumanized and breaking our, our urge to create us in them. So now I have to come back to this passage and ask myself, something else. What else is going on in this passage? Where is this passage placed? So I know it's a parable. I know who's teaching it. I know his jam. What else is going on? Well, this passage is actually in between two other parables, two other stories that Jesus is offering his disciples, those who he is trusting to go out in the world and reflect his love to others. It's two, he's, it's packed between two different passages. The first parable that is before this one is about servants who are entrusted with money from their master and the different ways that they invested it and how those ways revealed what they believe about the character of the master. Is he a good and generous man or hot-headed and selfish? So Jesus offers his first parable that says, hey, we need to be aware of the picture that we have of God. And then he offers the passage that we're going to look at a little bit more, and then Following, it, following that is another parable that says it's about ten women, five of who were wise and five who were foolish. And the way that they revealed their traits, their, their wisdom or their foolishness, was by how they managed an oil supply for their lamps. That they were not ready to be responsive. These two parables, before and after the one that we're looking at today, asks us to do two things. Be aware of our character of God, the picture of the character of God that we have. Be aware of how we live in the world, which is the passage that we're going to that we're looking at today, and to be ready to respond, respond to the love of God when it shows up in our lives. So, holding all of that together, now we can unpack this passage a little bit more and ask the Spirit, Spirit, what are you saying to us? 
So Jesus tells us that when he returns, all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate us one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goat. So the sheep will be gathered on one side, the goats will be gathered on the other. And as I begin to read that, knowing all the things that I'm knowing, I'm starting to see something that helps me think that maybe Jesus is not against that farm life, but Jesus is actually showing himself as a wise, good shepherd, one who's discerning what is going on in the world and giving his disciples directions on how to engage with the brokenness in the world that looks like him. See, what he is doing is he is talking about goats and sheep. And this audience that he was speaking to at that time would understand these references because they would understand that goats and sheep are fundamentally different. Though they may be equally cute, they're different. See, they would know that goats tend to fight differently than sheep. Goats would get on their hind legs and butt their heads, and sheep tend to stay on all fours. And so Jesus is speaking to people who would know you can't put those together because if something would happen, the goats would completely, completely eviscerate the sheep because of the way that they fight. They fight completely different. They deal with conflict and things in front of them completely different. And Jesus is saying, my people, my sheep, deal with conflict and brokenness completely different. He also knew that they had completely different diets. Goats required a high level of copper in their food, and it's a mineral that's super toxic to sheep. So you can't even feed them the same way. You have to separate them in order for them to be nourished. Jesus is saying that my sheep live on my words. They're nourished by my way. My sheep don't, are, are not satisfied by the things that this world easily gives them when they're hungry. So I can't feed them the same thing that I would feed goats. And then their temperaments are so different. Generally speaking, goats are naturally curious and independent, and they're very difficult to manage. They're headstrong. But sheep, so they'll go off and they have like this deep individualistic nature. What do they want? How do they accomplish what they want out of life? How do they cater to their comfort and their needs? But sheep are different. They have what's called a flocking instinct. They become agitated when they're separated from another. They're aware of the needs of each other, and they work together to make sure everybody's needs are tended to. So now we're looking at this parable that Jesus is talking about, and it's, it's not what I wanted, what I thought it was. I, I thought it was Jesus telling us how to create an us and them, who's right and wrong, who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. But no, Jesus is saying, you have a choice, my disciples, my friends, the ones I am trusting to take my mission of humanizing those who have been dehumanized out in the world. You have a choice. You can be like the goats. You can tend to your comfort. You can be headstrong. You can ignore the needs of others. Or you can be my sheep. You can be like the sheep. You can tune into your flocking instinct. You can look around and see the needs of others and adjust the way you live so that everyone has their needs You can be gentle, and you can be willing to to follow, to be led. So this passage is not a judgment as much as it is an invitation. Come follow Jesus, the good shepherd, 
the embodiment of love, and our picture of a full, perfect, flourishing humanity. But there's also a warning that goes along with it. Because there is a sheep way and a goat way. So choose the way of the sheep. Now, some of you might be sitting in this room thinking, okay, well, Oshida, that's great. The way of the sheep sounds really hard, sounds really ideal. You might be sitting in this room thinking, um, I, I don't even know where to begin with that. Well, when I first started acknowledging that Jesus was challenging my comfort was when my husband and I lived in New Orleans. We met in New Orleans doing urban core work. Um, and sometimes I'll just like say, I met my husband during Mardi Gras on Bourbon Street. <laughs> and just see what people say, how they react. Are they uncomfortable? Are they imagining me receiving beads from my husband? <laughs> Did he throw it at me? No, we were doing urban core work. Uh, a school that he was looking at attending was hosting their, um, were hosting groups from outside, all over the country to come do urban work with them. And they hosted during Mardi Gras, which, you know, to them was the height of the darkness in the city. And, um, and that's where we met. And so my husband and I met in New Orleans. We fell in love in New Orleans. He went back to Illinois. I went back to Texas. Then we both moved to New Orleans, got married. And we moved into a neighborhood known for its gang violence and its underperforming school. He worked at a community center doing literacy work, and I would go and I would teach dance to the students. Um, and our home became sort of a, a place where some of the kids would stop by and come play with our little, our little son, who was a toddler at that point. And, um, and so my husband came home to me one day, and as I was doing this work, I was realizing that there was kind of just um, this self-righteousness that was kind of happening in me a little bit. Because we were doing this work in the urban core, and people were looking at us and being like, that's such cool work. You guys are so, you're so, you're suffering for Jesus, and you're doing it the right way. And I was, there's a little bit of self-righteousness going on with me. There was also a little bit of paternalism going on with me. So, like, the kids would come, and I would feel like, I wouldn't listen to their stories. I would just tell them, like, this is what you need to do. Like, you need to stop hanging out with that kid, or you need to have an after-school job so that you can stop selling drugs. You need to stop dating all these boys, and you wouldn't have all these pregnancy scares. I, I, I kind of noticed that was happening in me. And so my husband came home one day, and he was like, hey, um, you make the best fried chicken I have ever had. And if there's one thing that you can do to truly endear yourself to a black Southern woman, it's tell her she makes the best fried chicken you've ever had. <laughs> so he came in, and he led with that. And I was like, yeah, I know. Is that what, that's what you want for dinner tonight? Like, okay, I got you. I mean, I might, might be a little late. I got to, you know, soak the chicken in buttermilk. I'm going down all the list of, like, what I need to do. And he's like, no, 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 no. I, I, I'm good this weekend. Like, can you make chicken this weekend? I was like, for sure, Sunday, chicken, gospel bird, let's do this. And so he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have a couple kids from the center. You know, I want them, you know, they haven't had a really good meal in a while. I just want to give them a good meal. I was like, yes, you know, show up for these kids who have not had a good meal my table, my money, my food, come on in. And so he, he like gasses me up and I'm like, yes, I'm gonna do this. And that day I'm cooking, or the night before I'm putting the chicken in the buttermilk to like, you know, marinate. And he comes in, he's like, oh, by the way, I need to tell you something. And I'm like, what? He's like, well, um, so the kids that are coming, they're, t they're leaders of rival gangs, and um, they had a fight in the center, and so I just, I wanted to bring them together, because your chicken brings so much peace, 
I just wanted to bring them together and see, like, if we could talk it through. And I'm like, are you kidding me? He's like, listen, babe, they promised to leave their guns in their car. And I'm like, did you just hear yourself? Like, these kids have guns. He's like, no, I pro- like, just, just go with it. So I'm muttering and mumbling and cussing at God, like, are you serious? Like, I was happy to go to them on my terms, to go teach them dance, to go tell them what they needed to do to fix their lives. I was not comfortable with them coming into my home with their problems, with my toddler and their guns sitting in my driveway. This is going to be a nightmare. So then they come, and TC, my husband, in the way that he only can do because he used to be in a gang, started talking to these kids about the conflict. But he started talking to these kids about the day that they had leading up to that conflict. Oh, were you with your siblings? Were, were, were you with all six of them? Oh, yeah, yeah. So you, had to, you, had, you were in charge. Because where is your mom? Oh, your mom didn't come home. Okay. So you're like, that's a lot. I mean, that, that's a lot. And then, you, and then you get this text that something's going down. And so, like, you have all this anger inside. Yeah, okay, okay. Like, what was going on with you? Oh, like, there's no food in your house. So you found out that they were working in your spot taking your money, and so there's, there's no food in your house, so how are you going to take care of your family? Because where's your, oh, your mom's sick, okay. And he's just started unpacking it, and as I am listening to him help these kids humanize each other, I started to realize that the very first step in the way of the sheep is noticing, learning, having proximity to those who would be, we would easily want to judge. Because only when we get to that place of deeply humanizing someone do we feel that it's our responsibility to give them something to eat when they're hungry or give them clothes when they are shivering, to give them a bed to sleep in when they are homeless, to show up for them when they've made a bad choice when they are imprisoned. Some of you might be saying, okay, great, Oshita, I want to notice, but I don't know anybody in prison. Maybe not. But do you know someone who is struggling with a mental health crisis? for whom their very minds feel unsafe? Can you be present for them? Can you see them and help relieve their suffering? That is you living in the way of the sheep. And maybe you're like, oh, Sheeta, I don't know anyone without clothes. Like, personally. I mean, like, I I donate all the clothes I don't want to wear to, like, savers or, like, epilepsy (laughs) program. Like, they come pick it up and I just never, you know... But, like, I don't know anybody personally shivering. Okay, maybe not. But do you know someone whose fundamental human rights are being stripped from them? We have an election coming up. And one of the things that I am paying close attention to in this election is voter suppression. People who have been ignored, who have been overlooked, as Jesus would say, are losing their capacity to speak up for their lived experience with a vote. So maybe you don't know someone who needs physical clothes, but maybe you do know that there is a whole movement that's going on that is stripping people of the protection of the vote. So what can you, as someone who is comfortable, whose vote gets counted, what can you do to offer them covering. Dr. Martin Luther King says, it may, not, it may be true that the law cannot make a man love me, but it can keep him from lynching me. And I think that's pretty important. 
So maybe we don't know someone who physically needs clothes, but I think the invitation to live the way of the sheep right now for us is to use our voice and our vote against voter suppression. But maybe not just on the national level. There are people who are being marginalized, disrespected, overworked, and underpaid all around us. We are seeing so many people not show up for work or showing up for work and being deeply disrespected and harmed. So maybe we can just go the way of the sheep this week as we engage with customer service employees, the baristas, the cashiers, the DoorDash deliverers. Maybe you can use your dollar and your review and your voice to clothe them with dignity. And maybe you're saying, I don't know anybody who's homeless. You might. One of the things that I have been so surprised is that as I have learned about the problem with homelessness, there are so many families, specifically in Minnesota, specifically in the Twin Cities, who have lost their homes because of the housing crisis and are now living in their cars or living in shelters and sending their kids to school. So your kids are starting school. Maybe reach out to the school counselor and say, hey, if you ever have any students who are in need, if you ever have any students who are hungry, who needs a coat, like let me know. Maybe I can rally some other parents and we can just quietly tend to those needs while these families are trying to figure out their next steps so that they can find a home. There are so many ways that we can move in the way of the goat, but it begins with noticing. I'm gonna close with this last story. So my daughter uh, is 15 years old and she has this tradition um, that she started a couple of years ago. She has a locker um, and she, she always kind of advocates for herself to have a locker that's kind of central to, to her particular grade. So she goes to a charter school, so it's really easy because they're mostly on the same floor. But she always asks for kind of like a, a locker that's in the middle of the hallway. And the first time she said that she asked for this, I thought, oh, she has anxiety like me, so she's overthinking and being like, how can I get from one place to another in the shortest amount of time? And so I was like, oh, babe, are you struggling with like not feeling like you can get to class on time? And she's like, no, 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 here's the thing, mom. Like, I'm always hungry throughout the day, so I've started keeping snacks in my locker. And I'm like, bingo, there's that anxiety. Okay, I got you. And she's like, but then I realized that if I'm hungry, maybe other people are hungry. So then I, I, I have a bunch of extra snacks. And, uh, and so like when people tell me that they're hungry or they're cranky and I'm like, girl, you're hangry, I tell them, come to my locker and I have food. And the first few months that I was doing it, like my, it was just for my friends, but then other people started realizing that there was food in my locker. And I never give my code out. They have to come to me and ask. And then I walk with them to my locker and I open up my locker and I say, choose whatever you want. And she was like, so mom, can I have a raise on my, my allowance? <laughs> and then when she showed me like, you know, that she really was doing this, like I got, I got a text, got a picture verification that she really was doing this. <laughs> she got that allowance raise. But now she is known as Trinity who feeds the community. Like all of her friends are like texting and sending each other snaps and sending and posting to, uh, to places that other CPA students don't. They're like, if you're hungry, check, find Trinity. She feeds the community. And so we were packing, we were getting ready for her locker this year. And she was like, mom, um, like I'm really like, I, 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 I want to add other things to my locker. And I was like, you're not getting a raise on your allowance this time. She's like, no, 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 no. But I, I'm also noticing 
Like some of my friends forget their tampons, and some of them forget socks. And you know, like, or their, or they like their socks get wet and gross in the winter. So I just, I want to have extra socks. And she's like started going down this list, and I was like, my child is creating a full-on pantry. <laughs> so my daughter is trying her best to follow the way of the sheep. And if I were to ask her, uh, Trinity, are you doing this because you're following Jesus? She would say, I'm not sure, to be honest. She's 15 and she's figuring out her own faith. But she knows that part of being fully human is seeing the humanity of others. And she knows the part of loving others is meeting their felt need. And she knows this because we say that was Jesus' whole jam. So awaken, I close with this. That this parable that is coming to serve us, to walk alongside us, shouldn't make us afraid. It should challenge us. It should make us uncomfortable, but not afraid. It is this beautiful invitation to love Jesus, a good, generous, and wise king. And because Jesus loves people so much, we are willing to lay down our comfort to love others. And we're offering all of our gifts and our resources, our passions, our influences, and we want to be ready ready for when an opportunity to notice comes upon us. And I, a future farmer, and sorter of my own sheep and goat, for one, is very happy to have this interpretation. And I'm choosing the way of building the kingdom and bringing peace. Will you join me? So I'm going to offer a short prayer and give us space to ask the Spirit to help us notice So may you, my friend, run with perseverance the race that is set before you, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. May Hebrews 12, 2, hold you, sustain you, and give you hope. we close this morning, I want to invite you to a time of worship and the table. Uh, so on my left and right, um, there are the elements for communion. Uh, there is red wine and white grape juice. Uh, bread is gluten-free. And so just a moment, I'll invite you to make your way up from the sides. There's some sanitizer stations there. Um, grab a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and as you do, know that the blood of Christ, the body of Christ has been broken for you, and the blood of Christ has been shed for you. Uh, Mel will lead us in song and invite, invite you to respond. Uh, as the Spirit leads. Thank you. What a beautiful morning. Um, my name is Jenna. If we haven't met, I'm the executive pastor. I would like to invite you to have a seat again. We're going to end a little different than how we usually do. But we are ending with phenomenal news. And that is that we have hired someone. Um, someone who is really, really phenomenal. So I just wanted to give Sarah an opportunity to give you all a little context for her um, and so that you get to know her a little bit and how great she is and how excited we are to have her on the team. So welcome, Sarah. Yeah. I know that most of those cheers are coming from my husband, so, <laughs> but I'll take it. Thanks, baby. 
<laughs> it's okay. My brother is the one who usually <laughs> cheers for me. <laughs> um, so just a couple questions so mm -hmm. that you all can get to know Sarah a little bit yeah. better. But I would love for you to share what brought you to Awaken just to start. Yeah, well, first of all, I am Sarah Spang, and that is my husband, Chris, and my stepdaughter, Olivia. And we are thrilled to be here. Uh, I think it's fair to say that our family has been on a journey. Honestly, after having a break from doing full-time ministry, we started looking for a new church that was more in line with where we stood on love and acceptance of all people, and that led us to Awaken. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Um, so a little context, if you were paying attention, we were hiring for two positions. We just put it in one for Sarah, because <laughs> she could do it. Um, so what about the work are you most excited about? I think I'm going to speak to the kids community portion of this. I am excited about having an opportunity to provide a safe place for all kids to feel loved while they wrestle with questions and they discover who Jesus is. That makes me very excited. And then I love organizing things. So the operations thing will come with that. So, yeah. Sarah and I had a moment this week where she, like, noticed something that was wrong. And then we collaborated and <laughs> solved for it. Mm -hmm. It was the most beautiful thing I've witnessed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was really cool. Um, and then finally, knowing, I mean, Sarah has really been thrown in the deep end. August 31st was her start date. And we are kicking off next week. Mm -hmm. So... I would love to hear from you, like, what would set you up really well, and how can we support you in the transition? I need people. Uh, I need people who care about this generation of kids and giving them maybe something better than we had growing up. Uh, a safe place where they belong, where someone knows and cares when they show up, uh, where kids can create and wonder, where we can foster confidence and we can learn about our failures or learn from our failures, where we can model kindness and compassion to others. And I need 36 people who can do just that. <laughs> and here's the thing, we are asking for a once a month commitment and that if we get those 36 people will allow us to offer two gatherings of kids community for all ages. So I, I strongly encourage you to come downstairs and check out where we're going to be hanging out downstairs, grab a donut, and just chat with us, and strongly consider once a month serving in our kids' community. So Cool. Thanks. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks. So Sarah will be downstairs at the kids' check-in desk. <laughs> Um, and Ron Amon, I don't know if you joined us on the 28th, he makes really good baked goods. Stop by there. There are donuts downstairs. Um, for the rest of the morning, um, if you're not able to stick around, uh, we'll do a blessing here. But if you are able to stick around and kind of see what sort of serving opportunities there are at Awaken as we kick off the ministry year, um, it is all around the building. If you look, you should have a handout with all the teams and opportunities and then the location and the space of where they are. There will be leaders to ask questions to, all sorts of things, and then coffee and donuts are downstairs. So with that, receive this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Go get a donut. Only if you sign up. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.